Welcome to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley Scott of Denver Seminary. What are the challenges we face in today's church and culture in a postmodern, post-Christian era? Dr. Haley believes that in addressing those issues, the church must adopt a missional mindset. Christianity does hold the answers to the big questions of today's culture. Let's join Dr. Haley for today's edition of Christian Curious. This past March, 27-year-old Alexi McCammond was asked to resign from her post as Teen Vogue editor before she even even officially stepped into the role. The reason? Tweets she posted as a teenager, which were deemed either racist or homophobic. As she announced her resignation, she tweeted, I should not have tweeted what I did, and I've taken full responsibility for that. I look at my work and my growth in the years since and have redoubled my commitment to growing in the years to come, both as a person and a as a professional. This is Christian Curious with Haley Gray Scott and Hannah Greaser, a show where we explore the most important questions related to ministry in the 21st century. The departure of Alexi McCammond is just one of the latest casualties of the cancel culture movement. Pop Culture Dictionary defines cancel culture as the popular practice of withdrawing support for public figures and companies after they have done or said something considered objectionable or offensive. Cancel culture is generally discussed as being performed on social media in the form of group shaming. But what is cancel culture and where are we going? Our guest today, Dr. Doug Groteis, has recently penned an opinion on cancel culture in Colorado politics. Dr. Groteis is an apologist and author of several books. He's a professor of philosophy at Denver Seminary. Groteis was a campus pastor for 12 years prior to obtaining a position as associate professor of philosophy of religion and ethics at Denver Seminary in 1993. Dr. Groteis, welcome back to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yes, we're happy to have you back and just excited to talk about this idea of cancel culture, which seems to be permeating every sphere right now. Um, So just to start off, we're curious about um, what you think the root of cancel culture is. Well, I think it's moral outrage. I don't know that the outrage is often expressed properly. But we have this opportunity now to monitor people through emails and tweets and Instagram and all this. And also our culture is very prickly about things, uh, even rather minor things. Now, there are really terrible offenses, like if someone uses a, a racial epithet or says something that is truly hateful, uh, then that should be called out. But things are really going overboard right now. It seems like people are very scrupulous to find any kind of slip or any miscue that people have made, and they're very eager to pounce and to condemn. And I think while that response of of justice, I think, or at least that's the feeling of justice, is appropriate, we need to make proper judgments and also consider what is what is the proper response to a moral lapse, if it's a moral lapse at all. And one thing that I'm concerned about is that people are overreacting, and uh, furthermore, they're often not considering their own sins. Uh, Jesus said that 
before you look at the speck in your neighbor's eye, look at the log in your own eye. So when we condemn other people strongly and want them to be censored or canceled, that's, that can be one way of just ignoring our own selfishness, our own sin, our own resentments, and so on. And uh, this cancel culture mania really concerns me for that reason. I think it's rooted in something human and something good. That is, we we want to condemn what's evil, but we have to ask what really is evil and what's just a peccadillo or what's not even wrong at all. Um, right. Some people have been attacked <clears throat> for, like, mentioning a racial epithet, not using it, you know, not calling anybody something but just saying the word, as in someone once said, blank, and then getting getting uh, censored and getting uh, canceled because they merely mentioned a bad word that someone else said. So there's a kind of uh, um, almost mania going on about this. You know, Dr. Grothuis, part of um, what I wonder, too, is if you think that it might be related in some way to the the dearth of authority figures that we can all cling to so for example in uh pre-modern times people uh, clung to the authority of scripture the authority of the church and they were grounded in that set of um theological and uh a theological framework there and then in the modern period of course we moved to science as our authority and then in postmodernism we've sort of lost all sense of who's truly in charge and we're back to like before pre-modern times which is almost like a mob mentality is Mm -hmm. do you see anything at play here that might um be involved in what's happening with the cancel culture well you've put your finger on something really significant and that's what Osgin has called, gosh, 30 years ago, a crisis of cultural authority. Who has the truth? Who speaks with some kind of moral address to the culture? And uh, to use another phrase, this is from uh, Jürgen Habermas, is like a legitimation crisis. Who, who is legitimate? Is it an educational institution? Is it a political institution? Is it the church? Who is it? And I think you make a good point about where we are, and I think what you could say is uh, now we have the digital tribe making the the judgment. So it's not a literal tribe, but we think maybe in a pre-modern situation, but we think of a digital tribe that can shame uh, very easily. And then this catches on like wildfire, cyber wildfire, and before you know it, People are fired, people are shamed, people are, uh, you know, to use a term from Orwell in 1984, uh, thrown down the memory hole. Wow. Hmm. Forget about these people because we deem them uh, inappropriate for us. They've, they've sinned in some conspicuous way, so uh, we have to punish them. And also the thing that really worries me is that there doesn't seem to be any redemption. Right. The idea is if you have used the wrong word or if you've been taken in the wrong way, then we just get rid of you. And you've, especially if you're considered an oppressor, 
then there's no hope for you. We simply have to punish you, marginalize you, and, and move on with our progressive and agenda. Throw you down the memory hole. You know, I actually, tra- I missed reading 1984 in high school, and I just missed it altogether, and then I tried to revisit it. I've tried to revisit it over the last few years, and I can't get through it because I get so panicked because I'm like reading about now and it's scaring me. So <laughs> it's like the scariest book that I could possibly read. Hannah, did you have something to say? Yeah, um, just, well, now it's something new thinking about that memory hole and how, you know, even what just happened with um, Dr. Seuss's books, how there was some mm. imagery that was deemed inappropriate, racially inappropriate. And so and they've um, completely canceled pu- publishing those, haven't they? There's like six books that they've ceased mm-hmm. to publish. Um, and so I think you couple that with this just I feel like this confusion about, yeah, what is right and what is wrong and how do we can we judge people of the past with our our current moral compass with our current lens whether it's dr seuss or it's people who um you know looking at maybe taking down statues and things like that that have certain origins um i just wonder how we could how how and if we can judge the past with our current lens of morality right well i think we want to make true moral judgments so we look at something like the institution of slavery in the united states and we say that was wrong and it was right to have it abolished it was sad that it had to happen in such a violent horrible way so i think the present generation always needs to look at the past rightly and try to make proper judgments but also realize that even our cultural heroes were flawed Uh, They were not perfect human beings. Only Jesus Christ is a perfect person. And then realize that we, too, make all kinds of mistakes, put it more strongly, sin against God and against our neighbor. So we should put things into perspective. But you talked about the statues. I think some statues need to come down. But how, in a civil society, they should come down through democratic means? So... If there's a statue to a Confederate soldier, and you think that uh, represents slavery and oppression, and I think it does, actually, Mm -hmm. then um, do what you can. Go to the officials and ask them to be diligent about this and to take it down or have a petition or do whatever needs to be done. But mob violence that tries to eradicate all the symbols of oppression really creates fear and chaos and a sense of lawlessness or vigilante um, vigilante politically correct justice so to speak and that's not the right way to go Uh, we should use persuasion and use proper political means with this kind of thing especially public monuments yeah i think that your point you know bringing up you know the old ways of you know tearing down statues and you know the the uh, the the urge for justice and to seek justice is threaded throughout human history and so when you look at cancel culture on the news your immediate reaction is like oh my gosh where is society going but really i mean cancel culture has been around 
forever. Um, it's It's been something that humans have always sought. We see it in the Bible when the, um, Jesus intercedes for the woman who is about to be stoned. He also, um, as you mentioned, uh, warns that, you know, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log in your own eye? And um, so one of the one of the things that you write in your article is that the first defect of cancel culture is it divides the world into a clear dichotomy of oppressors, evil and oppressed good when things are far trickier. And you then go on to quote my favorite um, one of my favorite writers and you quote my favorite quote from that writer, um, Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Who wrote, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. This line shifts inside of us. It oscillates with the years and even within hearts overwhelmed by evil. One small bridgehead of good is retained. And I know that in another portion of the book, he also says it runs through every human heart and who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart. And the difference about this culture, the cancel culture we have today, is that we have social media and technology. And you've written a lot about technology. So I'm really interested in your opinions on how you think technology and social media might impact this uh, cancel culture mentality that we have? Mm -hmm. Well, part of the problem is discerning truth amidst all the data, because we have a, a breakdown of cultural authority. And what tweet do you trust? What meme do you trust? Uh, what really happened here? And have we heard both sides of the story? So a lie can go around the world three times and somebody's canceled and maybe it was over nothing or maybe it was an outright lie so you have the question of knowledge uh, did someone do something or say something there's a factual claim or historical claim and then moral knowledge is that statement or is that action right or wrong and then if it is wrong how bad is it and if it is bad, what are the appropriate actions to be taken? And when you have these digital shaming mobs, that kind of process doesn't happen. Uh, someone retweets something and interprets it, and then uh, this person is shamed by the digital mob, and uh, that's about it. I mean, what's your recourse? So the information travels very quickly and it's often difficult to verify whether it's true or not and also people tend to respond too quickly because that's the way the medium is you get a text when you text back you get an email you want an email back so we often are prone to overly quick judgments and overly severe judgments because the media allow us that kind of instant response to things yeah, I read um, somewhere about a professor who put at the bottom of his email, my apologies, my lifestyle and does not 
is not in accordance with today's instantaneous culture. It may take me a few days to respond, but please don't be offended. <laughs> Just because <laughs> we expect that immediate reaction, and I even push against that too. Yeah, I think there's somewhat of an irony in the fact that with cancel culture, people are seeking you know, justice, which I would say is a form of truth. Like people want to know right from wrong, but then that immediacy, it almost doesn't allow for truth to develop or for people to have the time to figure it out. And then you add in the shame element where I think the biggest fault I see for myself and even some other people is just that you are afraid to say the wrong thing or even ask the wrong questions that are offensive. And therefore Mm -hmm. your search for truth is just cut off from the very beginning because with topics that are touchy, such as, you know, race, sexuality, um, anything like that, it, you, you don't want to be offensive and that's like almost the worst thing you can be these days. I do recommend Hannah, you check out the theory of the spiral of silence. Okay. Because it is a theory that came out in the 1970s about that very thing. Like people are, are like are compelled to be silent and hold back their opinions when they feel like mm-hmm. their livelihood or their lives are threatened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just reading uh, Mark the first four chapters this morning, and you see someone like uh, John the Baptist who called people to repentance, and of course Jesus called people to repentance. And uh, we need to be like that in as much as we're filled with the Holy Spirit and we're speaking the truth. We need to call ourselves to repentance, but we need to, as Ephesians 4.15 puts it, speak the truth in love. And in many cases, that may offend people. Sometimes it's good to be offended. Um, Sometimes it's good to offend other people. If they're cutting against the grain of God's Word and the world that God made, then Uh, in love. Perhaps they need to be challenged, and they may not like it. And I don't, I mean, who likes to repent? It's not Mm -hmm. fun. Uh, It offends me. You know, you said something true about my character, and that really bothers me, but darn it, it's true. So, you know, when you make not being offensive the standard for everything, what happens to truth and goodness? Right, I mean... we're We're not perfect moral evaluators. We can be offended by things... Uh, we should not be offended by, and we cannot be offended by things we should be offended by. So we need something beyond that. That's true. You know, and if you look at the the prophets in the Old Testament or, you know, John the Baptist and Jesus, as you just mentioned, these people, I mean, their lives did not fare well because of their prophetic voice, because they were right. speaking truth, because people were deeply offended. You know, they paid for that. In many cases, they paid for that with their lives. Mm-hmm. And that was the case then, and it's the case now in a sense. It may be not our lives, but it may be our livelihood. Or our reputation. Or I mean, Jesus does say we will. We, we can expect to be persecuted like him if we're followers of him. Right. Um, and I think, exactly. you know, if, if it's maybe we're not sure about what the truth is yet. Like we're not speaking it in a way that is maybe cutting to the heart of somebody, but we're just asking questions about um, maybe trying to get to that truth. I think it is important to keep that goal in mind of, you know, we're seeking goodness (laughs) and it might be a rocky path to get there, but that is the goal and our intentions, or at least as pure as we can, we can hope. Um, But 
we um, are also curious about if you think that cancel culture has affected the Christian faith by pressuring believers to dilute the truth in a way that could be socially acceptable. I think so. I think it's really easy to just go along with the crowd and to be affected by the social media and everything else and just jump on board with this kind of thing. And that's where we need to spend time uh, reading scripture and being involved with the church and having fellowship and praying and seeking the Lord and being willing to slow down a little bit and guard our words and guard our hearts because we don't we want to speak the truth in love to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't want to bring false accusations and we don't want to produce any unnecessary disunity in the body of Christ. That's something Paul was very concerned about that we are the body of Christ. So we should not be attacking and hurting and shaming each other. Uh, we need to challenge each other sometimes and to be challenged. But uh, keeping the unity of the body in the spirit of peace and in the truth is extremely important. And we could easily use the tweets and the Instagram and everything else to sow seeds of discord that are not necessary. So we're going to have disagreements about things, you know, are we woke or not? And what does woke mean? And how do we understand the current racial situation and all that? But we can try to to listen well and reflect, you know, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, as James says. Hmm. Well, you know, the thing that that concerns me is the, that all of this is happening, maybe coincidental, maybe it's linked. I'm not sure. I haven't thought about it enough or researched it enough, but there is a dismantling of um, evangelicalism and Christianity in America right now where we're reevaluating and people are reevaluating their affiliations with certain denominations and reevaluating their affiliation with the word evangelical even. And I can see where if one is willing, I've seen actually noticed um, Christians who would put away a label like evangelical and they will take up the mantle of you know, seeking social, so the seeking social justice in part of that is cancel culture. And so that's what one of the things that really worries me is that as Christians, we, we are threatened right now because not only, you know, is it hard to speak truth to people and offend people, but we're also being dismantled at the same time. Our foundation is kind of cracking a little bit here in America, I think. I don't know what your thoughts on that may be. Well, that's a big issue. What does evangelical mean? Who are the evangelicals? What are our defining beliefs? And you can look at that historically, sociologically, and so on. I think the ultimate issue is, uh, are we followers of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do we attend to his ways and mind his word and seek the truth in everything we do. And in as much as we do, we're pleasing God. And in as much as we don't, we're not. I think labels are important. We need them to communicate. Um, but that's the ultimate issue. I don't think we should you know, posture or preen or 
fine mm-hmm. labels that make us seem hip or cool, but uh, try to be faithful to the truth and then realize the term evangelical has been stretched uh, in so many directions, it's hard to know what exactly it means to whom. That's a big topic, you know, as I said, historically, in terms of denominations and all the rest of it. But if we mean uh, fidelity to the God of the Bible and our attempt to live true to the Scripture and emphasize the saving work of Jesus Christ and His way of life, then that's how everyone should live. That's the path that we should all take. And we need to, again, try to speak the truth in love with humility, but also with courage into a very confusing and increasingly bizarre culture. You know, I'm an old guy, I'm 64, and I, I can't even imagine some of the things that are going on right now uh, with respect to cancel culture, gender, uh, governmental policies. But we do have a North Star. You know, we do have a way to chart our course, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ, because he has all authority in heaven and on earth. So if there's a crisis of cultural authority or a legitimation crisis, it's not true for us. It's not true for followers of Jesus, because we know Matthew 28, because of the achievements of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, he has all authority in heaven and on earth, and he hasn't left us in the dark. He's given us his word, he's given us his spirit, he's given us his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against that church. So we should be people of of hope and people of zeal uh, in this uh, increasingly strange world we live in. Mm. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Grotes, for sharing your wisdom with us. Um, You're welcome. Yeah, and thank you, listeners, for tuning in to Christian Curious. If you missed any part of our show, be sure to visit our website to download this episode at christiancurious.co. That's www.christiancurious.co. And you can subscribe to our podcast on um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. Stay curious. Thank you for listening to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley. You can contact her with your comments or questions about today's show at her email, drhaley at christiancurious.org. That's D-R-H-A-L-E-E at christiancurious.org. You may also learn more by visiting the Christian Curious website, christiancurious.org. Join Dr. Haley again next week for Christian Curious on AM 670 KLTT.